welcome to The Right Idea, where we discuss the people, policy, and politics that drive Texas. I'm your host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And my co-host this week is not Derek Cohen, the uh, venerable vice president of policy at, at TPPF, but instead is Jason Isaac, our director of our Life Powered initiative. Um, I was going to do a little intro on Life Powered, but you do a much better job of it. Give us the bumper sticker version of what Life Powered well, does, Jason. E- either sorry or thank you, I guess, <laughs> for you know getting to suffer through me, you know, with me through this. But Life Powered is this national initiative of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. The short mission statement is to raise America energy IQ. The longer one is to make this connection between access to affordable and reliable energy and human flourishing. So we're the happy warriors out there advocating for affordable, reliable energy. And of course, while Jason can talk all things uh, energy, he is also, of course, a former state representative in here in Texas, uh, this area in Texas. Um, so he was kind of a utility player. So we can talk about basically anything you want. And full disclosure, your wife, of course, is currently a uh, state representative. So while her opinions won't be uh, uh, um, uh, reflected here, she still will have the right to uh, disagree with you on your opinion. I'm, I'm sure she will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's get into it. As always, I like to start with something non-political. It's a, a new segment I call something I saw. Um, well, something I did see was I'm worried a little bit about the taco industry now here in, in Texas because uh, AI is going to put lawyers out of business, is going to put authors out of business, going to put all kinds of maybe people out of Maybe some parliamentarians out of business. <laughs> so maybe some think tanks <laughs> out of business. Who knows? But the taco industry cannot go out of business, especially here in Central Texas and Texas writ large. I saw an article that said using the latest chat GPT-4 generator, uh, Velvet Taco, which is a taco place here in town, or at least in the Central Texas area, uh, has created what they call the ultimate uh, chat GP taco. <laughs> they asked uh, chat GPT to come up with the, the best ingredients for a taco. Uh, so I don't know if this embarks on a new, uh, a new future for us in taco, but just, but just to get to it real quick and then I'll get your thoughts on it. It includes flank steak and blackened shrimp, red chili aioli, chimichurri, uh, crispy potatoes, grilled onion, queso fresco, jalapeno, and cilantro on a corn tortilla. Are you worried about the future of taco makers? I, I would in just Texas? be careful if you're te- texting Chat GTP about tacos and don't put your fingers in your eye afterwards because it, <laughs> it might be spicy. Um, you know, I, I, I've kind of embraced Chat GTP just over the last week. And one of the first examples I had with it, my wife sent me a text and I had no idea what she meant. And this is the whole men are from Mars and women are from Venus thing. And so I'm thinking, I pasted it into chat GTP and I sent her the screenshot back of what my response should be. And it, it was a mess up with voice to text. And she was talking to somebody and wind up sending me a text with this uh, random I question that, that I had time. no idea. Uh, but, you know, maybe I will. My, my younger son has been asking to get together and make quesabaria, these, these tacos yeah, with sure. stewed meat. And so. So maybe I'll, I'll ask Chat GTP for a good recipe. Recipe or what goes into a good video taco. Um, okay, all right. Let's move on to the uh, the really important stuff uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way. Uh, and the most important stuff is, of course, my shameless plug for our weekly newsletter. It's called The Post. You can sign up for that newsletter at texaspolicy.com slash The Post. And, of course, there's all kind of fun things like that. We talk about tacos even in that newsletter. Uh, but also serious things that are going on, all the work the TPPF is working on. And then there's exclusive content. I do a weekly column. 
Uh, that sometimes even gets covered by the media. So, um, so that's cool. So, so go sign up for that, um, and uh, uh, as well as listen to this podcast every other week at texaspolicy.com backslash the post. Okay, jumping into it, of course, the biggest news in Texas, Jason, right up there a couple blocks uh, away from us this week, uh, they came to a deal on property tax. Uh, so uh, the the Senate has now passed it as of today, as of this recording. The Senate has now passed it. Uh, the House is debating it. There's going to be some shenanigans going on over there. Uh, but just in general, give me your general thoughts about the deal uh, that was made. You know, is this good for Texans one way or the other? And how do you think the the public's going to feel? Yeah, I think it's a step in the right direction. And my wife and her anxiousness to cut property taxes cut my forehead last night. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was fixing something around the house, and you know. So if you're actually watching the video of this, you may see a little gash on my my. It's not a forehead; it's a six head. I, you know, I've got a little bit extra room. If I had a forehead, were, I would have missed and wouldn't. Were, have cut you, myself. were you making the case for homestead exemption, and she really wanted appraisal caps? Yeah, and that's yeah where, we got into this argument, okay. and I started throwing, and she was looking for scalps. But I do. It's going to be the largest property tax cut I think in the history of Texas. Maybe the largest tax cut mm. in the history of Texas, which I think is is a great thing to be debating. You've got states like California that are looking for ways to increase their revenue, and Texas is looking for ways to give your tax dollars back to you. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a step in the right direction, a little bit concerned that there's not this path to eliminate the maintenance and operation portion, the largest portion of property taxes that that everyone pays. Mm -hmm. Whether you're buying something, there's property tax baked into that product. If you're living in a home, if you have an apartment, if you're in a business, everyone is paying property taxes. That's also why they tax the property, because everybody has to do something with property. Yes, yes. And so we've got to get rid of this and and I'm I'm a little concerned that there's not this path to eliminate it, but it again it is a step in the right direction. Uh, I think that there will be some significant relief that taxpayers see this fall from mm-hmm. from their taxing authorities. And and you know one of the things that we talked about here at TPPF is uh, is that third thing. You know you you talked about the the largest tax cut in history. We've talked about you know um, in, in average taxpayers are going to feel it. You know this isn't something that's kind of a bank shot through businesses or something. Average taxpayers are going to feel it. But I think the the next thing that we really need to focus on is long term to make sure that we're you know reform so we're not back here in a couple of years having to you know do this all again uh, to your point about you know long term tax relief and the compression rates and elimination um, I think again you said we're on the, uh, the right road yeah um, I think the governor has even you know he he specifically asked this which is really what TPPF has been pr- proposing for over yeah. a decade now when I was in the legislature my wife would come to me and be like why aren't you doing this why aren't you doing this plan and, and lo and behold it was the TPPF plan to to phase out the M&O property tax <laughs> over this 10 to 12 years and, and, and how much money it would save Texans that actually be able to afford to stay in their homes because we're seeing people that can't do that. And the governor's right. on the same page with recommendations that the foundation's been making for over a decade now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's great that we're we're on that right track. We've just got to get there. We've we've got to get to this point where we actually eliminate that largest property tax that we pay. A couple things I want to hit. <clears throat> One is just what's going on in the House right now. I mean, maybe this debate will be over by the time that everybody's hearing this uh, this uh, uh, podcast. But the Democrats are trying to tie um, uh, teacher pay raises 
into property tax. Now, look, I understand. I'm a, I used to work in Washington, D.C. and work in Congress, and I totally understand how the sausage gets made in the negotiations using leverage and all of those kinds of things. Um, but, but you know, you, you have to be, and I apologize for the metaphor, but you have to be willing to shoot the hostage in these, in these uh, types of negotiations if you're going to take that kind of stand to say, we're not going to support property tax relief for, you know, tens of millions of, of Texans if you don't include teacher pay raises. Now, teacher pay raises probably are something that we could get behind and get support, but that's not something that's germane to this bill. And and the real question is, are the Democrats actually going to stand up and block the passage of this bill, uh, property tax relief, after working on it all year? Um, are they really going to vote against it and block this property tax relief? And then what would that do to them politically? Yeah, I really don't think they're going to try to block this. They're, they're, they're going to try. They're going to grandstand. There's no doubt about that. And mm. uh, the tape will tell as, again, this is probably going to be happening here momentarily on the House floor. Uh, but they're certainly going to grandstand to try to tie it to teacher pay raises. But the thing is, is that everybody's getting a raise in Texas and you're getting the raise and getting some of your own money back. And that's Great a way point. to look yeah. at it. But if they really want just teacher pay raises, then we need to include private school teachers. We need to include homeschool teachers. Uh, it'd be nice if they could get a little bit more of their tax dollars back sure. and give this parental empowerment, which I think we're probably going to talk a little bit later on <laughs> here in the year, maybe in October time frame, there'll be a special session, uh, I imagine, that deals with teacher pay raises and parental empowerment. And, and hopefully we'll see more teachers, even private school teachers, charter school teachers, homeschool teachers, get some more of their money Absolutely. back. You know, Derek and I always joke that this is CPPF and we're contractually obligated to talk about school choice every 12 minutes. Um, uh, so, we, so we do try to hit it. So I think we've hit our quota and we may get to it later in the well, show. And I, I'd love to share, <laughs> if I can, real quick, some of the numbers here that we see on the energy side of things. And I'm yeah. probably going to digress here. But the last year that we have numbers available, there were 24,000 kids that graduated Texas high schools that had a CNA certification, a certified nurse's assistant. They can change bedpans. They can check blood pressure. They can draw blood blood, phlebotomy. I, I thought that was floriculture, but apparently they're two different things, but I don't have a PhD. <laughs> not, not that. But, but but you get about 11 to $13 an hour. So that's about $27,000 a year, assuming you don't take a week off and you work 40 hours a week. That's not really preparing students for prosperity. 24,000 kids are, in my opinion, they're, and they're not prepared for poverty because no one's prepared for poverty. Mm -hmm. But it, you look at the kids that graduated with a certifi certification to work in oil and gas or refining, and it's 34, period, just 34 students, the last year that we have numbers available, that graduated with certification in oil and gas refining coming out of Texas high schools. Those jobs pay $60,000 a year starting. Could you imagine? I couldn't imagine being an 18-year-old kid making $60,000 a year. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have made it to 21. Um, but I, it, that's preparing kids for prosperity. Sure. And so we need this freedom. And, and you look at the school districts. They don't offer these programs for oil and gas refining or diesel mechanic. A lot of them don't. Uh, they don't offer HVAC or plumbing or electrical. In fact, over 90% of the school districts don't offer those programs. Right. They're very expensive, but over 90% of the schools are within 30 miles of a place that does. It could be a trade school. It could be mm -hmm. a community college. Uh, it could be like somewhere like TSTC, a technical uh, uh, school. State technical college. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 
And they're expanding. And those are some great examples. But just imagine if a kid had some sort of scholarship, mm -hmm. an education savings account where they could in their high school years go over to a school that offers these programs and graduate high school prepared for prosperity. $60,000 a year starting. Yeah, that's it's incredible. One, that's one of the hidden things about the, the school choice debate is that this isn't, you know, the left all wants to make this well. This is about public school kids going to private schools or going to, you know, some expensive school or even just the school, you know, across the way or down the street. It's not that. I mean, we talk a lot about school choice also, or at least parent empowerment writ large, also means parents having the opportunity. You can go to the local school. You can be on the football team. You can, you know, you can be in the dance club or whatever it is. But, you know, at three o'clock, you've got you've got a little opportunity to go to the TSTC and learn a trade, learn a skill that's going to prepare you to jump right into the, the, the workforce right after high school. And the biggest talking point of that is without any debt. I mean, like no you're saying, you know, there's lots of people coming out of college, maybe making thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars but they've got $200,000 yeah. in debt. And the, and the certified nurse assistant, which is great. I'm glad that students are getting this opportunity to learn more and experience different things. But if they want to advance their health careers beyond that, they've got to go more education, exactly. more schooling, more debt. more debt. And they're not going to be making $60,000 right out of the gate like mm -hmm. some of these 18-year-olds could be, which within years they're making, just within five years, they're making over $100,000 a year annual salary. There's currently 7,000 openings in the oil and gas industry looking for some of these basic starting jobs, but we don't have the workforce. And and quite honestly, when I go out, I'm, I'm tired of going on rig tours and, and refinery <laughs> tours and seeing out-of-state license plates. Like, yeah. why is Florida preparing their students for Texas jobs? Why is Wyoming and Arizona... We okay. need to be preparing we, our we'll students. We'll get back. So we can talk about education pretty much the whole time. We've done our due diligence. Uh, yes, uh, CWF, yes. We've talked about school choice. Okay. One one last point I wanted to make about property tax before we move on to what we really want to talk about, which is the grid and all of that. We've we've waited. Derek and I have not done any segments on that because I wanted to make sure that we got you in here to, to be the expert on that. So we'll get that in just a second. One point I want to make to our listeners, <clears throat> to our viewers is um, – is that we're is that everybody's going to get a property tax cut? You know, all the homesteaders and people who you know run businesses, we're all going to get property tax cuts. The local governments understand that, and they're going to come for those savings. And so, a lot of people don't know how much they pay in property tax. I can't believe that, but I'm shocked to find out that people pay five, six, seven thousand dollars a year. You know, several hundred dollars uh, a month uh, out of their paychecks for property tax, and most people don't know how much they pay. Right. So let's say that you pay. You know, the average. I think. We looked up Dripping Springs. The average in Dripping Springs uh, last year or two years ago was about $5,600. Dripping Springs, before the tax cut, Dripping Springs increased people's taxes an average of almost $700. That was before the tax cut. So now the average person is paying about $6,300 in Dripping Springs, which is kind of a bedroom community uh, outside of Austin. Those folks know that you're about to get a $1,200 tax cut. So if they're already willing to go out without, you know, in broad daylight and raise your taxes $600, now they know that the average person in Dripping Springs is going to get a $1,200 tax cut. They're coming for that money. And so right now, literally in the next 60 days, it's all happening right now. Your local governments are preparing to, to do their budgets, and then they're going to set the rates based on what they think they need to spend. And then they're going to know that you're going to, you know, be expecting those those cuts. And so if, let's say you're expecting a $7,000 uh, um, 
a property tax bill, but then they reduce it by twelve hundred dollars because that's a tax cut. But then, but then the locals are going to go and creep it back up. Now, if you don't know how much you spend, you think, oh, I got sixty five hundred dollars. That's a five hundred dollar cut. Great, it should have been twelve hundred. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, that's my rant, but I but I want to make that point. We're going to be talking about that at TPPF over the next couple of months because the locals are absolutely coming for those taxes. If you see your local elected officials, ask them to adopt the no new revenue rate. That is what they need to adopt to not increase your tax liability. They're still going to get an increase of revenue from new properties that are coming onto the tax rolls. If you've taken an empty piece of land and you put a home on it or a business on it, they're going to increase revenue from those increases valuation. But from yours, your tax liability should stay about the same as it was last year. So ask for the no new revenue rate. With the cuts the legislatures are going to pass, you'll see a significant property tax cut. Okay. Um, we've done on property tax uh, as well. I want to get to the grid stuff just because that's really where, uh, uh, where uh, Jason makes his money. Um, fantastic piece that Life Powered uh, has put out recently. Life Powered has its own site. We have all their stuff on texaspolicy.com, but you can also go to lifepower.org. Yes. I think is what it is. Lifepower.org, and you can just get, you go right to the source. Uh, one of the pieces I love that you guys posted on there is winter is the new summer. What do you mean by yeah. that? Yeah. So it used to be that during the summer months, we would experience hot temperatures like we're experiencing now, and you would see some instances of rolling blackouts. But we're not seeing that in the summer anymore because of this massive overinvestment, $100 billion over the last 10 years, in what are really unreliable variable sources of generation, namely wind and solar. But the solar is actually helping us in the summer time months until the sun goes down and then we see prices we've seen in the last few days spice prices spike up i'm working on a piece on this and a good tweet thread isaac for energy on twitter check it out because this will be a good thread with some really factual information like prices are skyrocketing when actually demand is decreasing around 8 p.m at night because the sun is setting down and you're forcing generation that's been sidelined reliable thermal generation to get off the sidelines and come onto the field and so they've got to crank up their equipment fired up and that costs more money to do mm-hmm. that. Uh, but this this whole winter is the new summer is because you look at what happened February 2021. Solar and wind dropped off. At that time, they were 33% of our grid. A third of our grid was producing pretty much zero electricity. And then today, it's 40% of our grid. And I love some of the, the wind advocates out there and the, and the, the renewable advocates, I call them unreliables, uh, saying, oh, we're producing 30% of our peak electricity. Well, you're 40% of the grid. You're you're not even pulling your weight. You're at 75%. 30%, like, 30% of 40%? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you're 30% of the electricity, <laughs> but 40% of our grid. So that means that 60% of our grid, the reliable thermal that we can count on, mm-hmm is producing 70% of the electricity. They're, they're really being overburdened and it's because of the federal distortion, market distorting policies. And, and really it gets, it's tied into ESG too. So you get the federal government dumping all these subsidies in all these world's largest financial institutions applying pressure for mm-hmm. companies to get out of thermal generation so from natural gas and coal. So, so then winter then is what becomes the uh, the real sticky part or the real concern because in the summer, you know, we, we may have a lot of sun, particularly when it's hot and there's a yeah. lot of sun, we do have, you know, there's, there may not be m- enough wind necessarily, um, but we are able to at least produce enough uh, to cover what people need in the summer. The problem is, is that the, is that we get shortages of wind and, uh, and sun. And so 
solar in the winter and there's nothing there to cover it because we're taking all of the reliable energy off the grid or they're or the what do you call it sunsetting it or they're yeah. retiring it yes. uh, off of the grid yeah. so there's nothing to replace the the solar and the wind the um, that was there during the summer that's kind of the concept correct yeah so if Biden's successful in blocking out the sun I think he pitched this idea a couple of days ago <laughs> I, I, Burns. He, was watching, he was watching Simpsons or something like that I've got a great idea we're gonna block out the sun and that'll make it cooler yeah we'll, we'll die really really quick speaking of AI have you seen but, Kamala, Kamala's, Kamala's comments on AI sorry I didn't mean to oh my gosh but you know he wants it, to block out the sun so then 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 summer will be the new summer in yeah, Texas and we right. won't have electricity at all it's just a, a frightening part that we're so dependent on an unreliable variable source of generation but winter is going to be frightening and, and we've proved in 2021 and stuff we've been writing about for years that winter and colder temperatures are much more dangerous than their summer temperatures for every person that dies of a heat related illness you're going to have 20 people that die of wintertime exposure to cold it's much more dangerous uh, and so when the sun sets and their, their panels are covered in snow and the wind's not blowing 40 percent of our grid is not performing at all at all zero and so you know we don't just complain here you know we're, we're about the right that's idea right. that's what we talk about here uh so what is the right idea what is what is the uh and by the way in 25 episodes that's the first time i've ever done that what is the right idea yeah um <laughs> we're finally getting there <laughs> jefferson can attest to that i've never i've never uh, uh used uh, the right idea that way all right so what so what is the solution so there? and it's interesting because since before winter storm yuri we it was one of our legislative action agenda items within the life powered project was to advocate for affordable reliable energy imagine that and really this reliability requirement affirming requirement that you you put all your generators on this level playing field that that our grid would value reliability over cost because when you're so heavily subsidized like wind and solar are wind can sell electricity at a negative yes they can pay the grid to take electricity uh, and you can't compete with that I did a great PragerU video on that, that that makes this analogy about a competing restaurant opening up and paying customers to take their food obviously the free market restaurant that doesn't get government subsidies is going to go out of business. And mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing, these early retirements of thermal generation. But so the right idea is this firming requirement, which our legislature didn't pass two years ago. They gave the Public Utility Commission this may instead of a shall. For those of you that are policy wonks, there's a big difference. Shall, they have to, a may, they they might. <laughs> and then the governor came out with this directive. We're all policy nerds that watch this. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah. so you know the difference between a may yeah. and a shall. But the governor <laughs> came out with this directive and really said, you shall make variable sources of generation pay for the burdens they place on the grid with this directive from July 6, 2021. I quote it often and use it often because he had the foresight to say that we need to do firming. And that's ex exactly what he did. The Public Utility Commission refused to implement it. And we see, again, some changes in leadership there. But this time, the Senate and the House agreed that all new generation in the ERCOT market, about 80% of Texans, about 80% of, of the geographic area of Texas, We'll have to have firming on. They're going to have to put electricity on the grid when we need it, not when the weather is cooperating. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good thing. What a concept. Actually yeah, imagine that. <laughs> and then the Public Utility Commission has until 2027 to figure out a way to implement that on the existing fleet. That's what they call the generators that are out there today. It's over 700 thermal generators in the state of Texas. They're going to have to figure out how you do firming for the, those reliability re requirements for existing generations so that we'll have electricity when we need it. So I, I saw this story. 
uh, last week and I saved it just because I wanted to get your, um, uh, your get your take on it. My head almost exploded when I read it. I'll just, just give you that kind of caveat. Um, there was a there was a a piece. You know, you talk a lot about the overinvestment in the unreliables, right? And solar and wind uh, in, uh, in particular. Uh, that, but yeah, you know, and and the reason for that, of course, is because everybody loves free energy. You know, wind and solar. It's it's clean. It's green. Blah blah blah. There's a lot of virtue signaling with oh, the yeah. states, and you know, a lot of Republican governors and legislators, and you know, in states like Texas, um, have done it as well. They've gone out and virtue signaled and said, you know, we want to have more the, um, clean and, and energy. So that that's kind of a component that has helped uh, invest or has, has encouraged over investment in it. Well, here's a new idea: um, <clears throat> the Environmental Protection Agency will make solar panels, efficient lighting and air conditioning, insulation, and other upgrades to someone's home realistic options for low and moderate income uh, Texans. New funding mechanisms as part of the uh, wrongly named Inflation Reduction Act will let home and business owners borrow money at very low rates to pay for solar panels and use the energy cost savings to pay back the loans. So low income people, poor people are going to borrow money, go into debt in order to uh, prop up the solar industry. Jason, this, what's your this thought? This is just crazy. This is the wrong idea. And that could be a whole other podcast. Well, I, I forgot the, the last part is and you use the cost savings to pay back the loan. So it actually is a so free loan. We're going to force you to give money to the government that we're going to then loan back for you and make you pay interest on it. That something isn't going to work all of the time. And we're seeing these bankruptcies of these companies in California. Namely, I was reading an article in CBS recently, which I was shocked that a CBS affiliate was covering this. And it was a, 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 a poor person had bought solar panels and she had put them on her home and this solar company went bankrupt and now she's stuck with the solar panels on a roof that aren't producing any electricity and she still has to pay the cost of them. So this, mm-hmm. we've, we already have this perfect example of where it's failed and while why the EPA is trying to continue down this road mm-hmm. of shooting people in the foot, I have no idea. But it's, like, don't California my Texas, don't EPA my Texas. This is just absolutely absurd. It's just a, a way to, to do green handouts. You know, they think that solar and wind are great because the fuel is free. Well, if they're so great and they're so inexpensive, then why are our electric bills going up? And this is something mm-hmm. that we write about because yeah. $100 billion <clears throat> in federal subsidies, that's our money. They're taking money from us. Imagine if we had invested that the market, not we as taxpayers, but if the market had sent signals to invest in reliable electric generation, mm-hmm. we'd have more than enough thermal, natural gas, new quick start generation online. We'd have coal that wasn't early retiring, which is great. And God forbid we'd have some more nuclear, which yeah. would be incredible. Which but is the, also clean and green. It, yeah, and it, that's else. supposedly the panacea. There's yeah. you know zero emissions except for water vapor, which, mind you, you know, a very humid city. It, it is a more warming so, gas than CO two. So you tease that. I actually want to get to that question real quick. I think you they forgot the punchline in that CBS story though, which is which is that um, they're not even hooked up. People had to finance, right? So they borrowed <laughs> this money, so they financed it to pay for the equipment and to pay for the installation. So they got the equipment and they got it installed and they're paying monthly payments but because the solar company went bankrupt they're not hooked up no it's like you have you bought a car but you don't get the keys you can't drive it it's sitting there in your driveway or in this case parked on your roof and you're paying monthly for it 
and you're getting zero benefit right. from it. It's actually taking up space and probably making your house hotter. Then the solution is to go out and find low-income people and make them borrow this money <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. to vet these failing companies. Yeah. It's just insane. No, I do want to get to – that is a really good question. I didn't even have that on my list, but thank you for reminding me um, that, that it is crazy that, that the, the, you know, the, the proponents of renewables talk about how cheap it is to produce or to generate um, uh, electricity from renewables. Uh, but, but if that's true – Talk a little bit about why our electricity bills aren't going down. Yeah, and they're not. They're not going down because it's unreliable. So you're having to keep older, less reliable generation running longer. Companies are having to do this rather than take money and invest it into new technology. It's part of the problem with cars today. Cars are so expensive that people are keeping older, less safe cars than today's technology. Mm-hmm. They're keeping them longer. They're less safe. They're less efficient. That's that's not great, but they're, they're being forced down this electric-only avenue when it comes to cars, which is just absurd because by and large, the vast majority of people don't want an electric vehicle. They want something that works. And the federal government continues to prop up things that don't work. And it's like, you know, oh, wind and solar in their infancy. Like this is the first 45-year-old infant that I've ever seen because that that's how long <laughs> they've been giving these subsidies out. Our money. They're taking our money and distorting the market. Is that in dog years or anything? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It, it's, a, it's unfortunate. It's 45 painful years of un necessary market distorting policies from the federal government to prop up unreliable right. generation. And so we're having to pay more because the maintenance is going up and, and we're having to run older, less efficient equipment more. Right. It's uh, all it's all these other costs that go into I mean if you're a business, you have to account for all of your costs. You have to account for the you know the people that work for you, the the brick and mortar, the bills, everything. And all of those costs have to be paid for by the widgets that you sell. And yeah. so and so acting like well the only cost that matters is my labor. Only cost that matters is to keep the door open or, you know, it's it's completely dishonest. I mean, we talk about, <clears throat> a lot about this. I rant a lot about this on the show, just how utterly dishonest the other side is. I mean, it's like, you know, use a story of, of somebody saying, you know, I've, I found the best apples in the world. They taste better than anybody, you know, than any other apple that you have at HEB. And the good thing is they're half the price of what you buy at HEB. So buy these apples instead. Well, where are the apples? Oh, they're in Washington State. <laughs> and so the next time you go grocery shopping, yeah. buy, you know, a $500 ticket and spend, <laughs> you know, ignore all those costs because, yeah. you know, the apples are half the price, you know, so, so you should do it. It's just nonsense. I mean, it, they're just really so is. dishonest. They're, they're intentionally misleading. And then when you, and, and you only really need to dig down just one level or two levels to, to realize that they're being, that they're being uh, completely dishonest. Oh yeah. The fuel is free. The fuel is free, but how much does it cost to put up the solar panels and how much land are you converting from productive farmland mm-hmm. to put up solar panels? We're taking, we are losing thousands of acres in this state of productive farm and ranch land to prop up unreliable China-made yeah. solar panels that kids are, are mining in the Congo and mines that are uh, controlled by Chinese companies. Mm-hmm. It's I think there's 40,000 kids between the ages of 7 and 13 years old in these mines in Africa that are mining the, the minerals uh, and the elements that go into making the electronics that we we live by. Mm-hmm. We, we love every day, but we're distorting the market to make so that it's we're using more and more and more of it. And that's yep. why slave labor is making these Chinese solar panels that I think the Biden administration may have just exempted uh, and allowed that to continue to Tax happen. Tax cuts which for is, Chinese. It, it is completely dishonest, yeah. Um, I want to talk to a little bit about uh, something else that's distorting the market that, that you're kind of just now getting into, doing some research on. I think you've got some new research coming on uh, about that. And of course, this is Austin. We're in Austin, so we have Tesla. Yes. And their massive complex, you know, right down the road. We all love Elon. He's a fantastic Twitter troll. Uh, and, all, and all this, you know, 
know, the big fight with Zuckerberg, all that kind of stuff. But let's let's talk about EVs. Let's talk about these cars. Um, and you're doing some research on that. Um, uh, you know, the stuff that I find really interesting. The, the first question I have is, um, you know, if they want if they want everybody driving electric cars, you know, number one, electricity doesn't come from the wall. It has to come from someplace. And if we're all replacing our gas powered um, uh, uh, cars with electric cars, where's all that electricity going to come from? So that's kind of first yeah. question that, that we want to I want to shoot at you. But then the other is the, the market question. I mean, what is this going to do to the grid and the cost of our electricity? Yeah, so it's going to continue to put a cost on the grid. So imagine if you live in a neighborhood and you may have 10 or 15 homes that are on your street that you live on, one or two people buy an electric car and they put the charger in their garage, that's going to be fine. But the problem is, is when you have a third or, or you get to 40 to 50% of your neighbors have electric vehicles and they're charging their cars at night, the voltage on the lines going into your neighborhood is not high enough to carry enough electricity to charge those electric vehicles, especially if you're in an electric home with an electric stove, electric water heater, electric washing and drying and furnace uh, you're mm-hmm. going to have this big drain and so your neighborhood's going to have to do some significant upgrades and guess who the electric company is going to pass those costs on to the retail electric provider or the company that owns the transmission and lines they're going to pass that cost on to you and quite honestly they don't mind because that's how they boost their revenue oh wait higher costs we'll pass those on to the yeah, consumers right. and that's one of the reasons why electric costs are going up but you're so, all also, other, so all the other folks in the neighborhood who don't have electric cars, one, they're paying higher rates and they're not the source of the problem. And then two, potentially they could lose their electricity because their portion of the grid isn't able to to uh, to um, to meet that demand for that neighborhood. Yeah, it's absolutely right. Yeah, they're, they're subsidizing the, the cost of the lines to go into the home to charge that. Then they're also actually subsidizing the electric vehicle. Mm-hmm. I think Ford just published recently they're losing $30,000 per electric vehicle that they sell. Well, they're still selling them and they're still making them and they're committed to going down this path of insanity for the time being. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, companies like Toyota are not. Um, I I say they've bowed to ESG, but they haven't bent the knee. Um, Other companies like Ford and and General Motors, they're they're committed to going 100% electric. And so if you buy an F-150 right now, uh, that's just an internal combustion engine, just know that you are subsidizing the cost of an electric vehicle for someone else, a wealthy individual. I think over 80% of EV owners earn over six figures a year. So you're subsidizing a wealthy individual to buy an electric vehicle with the purchase of an internal combustion engine. Um, I'm, so the, it's, it's just totally insane. Um, um, last question on on um, EVs and cars. Where is the, you know, I mean, this I guess this goes to our original point, which is where is the electricity yeah. going to come from here? I mean, you know, California is, is uh, you know, full steam ahead on forcing everybody to use electric cars. I noticed when I was looking around for houses and was talking to builders and all that, some builders are just installing the panels in the houses. Are are they talking to the grid folks? Are they talking? I mean, do, do, the, do, they, are, do they know no. that how much? <laughs> yeah, It's I just mean, like putting a 220 outlet in, oh, you want to put uh, you know, a, a, another washing machine and a dryer in your garage for whatever reason. It's basically the same kind of outlet that powers that, right. that powers your vehicle charger. But if you run your clothes and you're, you're washing clothes and dishes and running your electric stove and your Tesla at the same time, you're probably going to trip a breaker somewhere in your house. Mm-hmm. But it's it's an upcharge for them. They're probably also getting federal incentives to to sell an electric charger. I, I believe there's probably some kickback somewhere or they're counting it on their ESG score. Like, hey, 
we just installed an electric vehicle charger. Exactly. Yeah. Virtue signal. It, it was a big Look pitch. how great we are. Yeah, the builder was a big pitch to them saying, you know, if you want to get an electric car, we've got it all set up for you. Yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm wondering sure if, we can peel back the layers of the Inflation Reduction Act and like for every home you sell with an electric charge, yeah, there, absolutely. there's 1500 bucks. And I'm just wondering if like the folks who built the grid in that area or, no, you know, are connected that, to the grid in there and know that all of these homes are encouraging electric vehicle charging. They're, they're not. No, they're not increasing the voltage of the lines that it's going to be required if, if this this whole electric vehicle push goes forward, um, at, like what California is proposing, so which I, is just absurd because California is importing more electricity from other states. Mm-hmm. So this is where I, you know people said and the forests Texas, are burning because yeah, they have, yeah uh, well yeah forest management <laughs> it's happening in in uh, Canada it's poor forestry management. There's actually one place I've just read about a company recently in California that got approval to go in on some Indian reservation land and they're actually going to work forestry. They're going to clear the old Whoa. dead forest and they're going to do forestry management. It's kind of like a bright spot. Yeah. Uh, I think it's in, in Tahoe in, in California. It's like this whole bright spot. They're actually going to go in and manage forests. They're going to produce wood and sell wood to build homes. That's amazing. I think it's 1850, Yeller. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our producer, yeah. uh, the venerable uh, Jefferson Drexler, uh, escaped California. Yes. So he's back there just enjoying this conversation about how awful California yeah. is. Yeah. Well, one, I had one bright spot I could talk about. Yeah, one they, they, they approved spot. this. Who knows until they get protested and shut down. But uh, there, there's some good news. But if they do push forward with this, what's going to happen? And when people in Texas said, oh, we need to just join the national grids. We need to connect to other grids. And I'm like, no, we don't. I'm a huge advocate for keeping ERCOT independent from the other grids that we're surrounded by. Because yeah. you look at California, they're part of this Western interchange. And so California, people have elected people in California that we likely don't agree with that are making policies that are actually import, impacting Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, their surrounding states. Because if California says we're going to get rid of all of our reliable electric generation, natural gas, coal, mm-hmm. nuclear, then we'll just import electricity from Wyoming and Utah and coal. So they're still getting coal produced electricity. They're still getting mm-hmm. nuclear and natural gas fired electricity. They're just buying it from their neighbors and they're paying a premium for it. And that means electricity costs are going up in those surrounding states because of elected officials in California. So there's no way Texas need to be part of a national grid. That is the fastest way, I think, to be to actually Californiaizing uh, Texas. Yes. Is, is making Texas like California is to connect to the grid that they're connected to and all of their bogus policies. Yes. Um, you know, I do have an electric mower. So should I feel guilty about that? It's not quite an electric vehicle. I do really yes, appreciate it. I, I, I love saw it. one out in my neighborhood. It was on, and I'm like, what is this guy's like lawnmower doing out there? It was on the corner of his lot, and I went slow enough to read this handwritten sign, clearly not a marketing genius, and it was like free on his electric mower. And I'm like, yes, yeah, get rid of it. Go with the gas mower. Oh, I love it. I'll tell you, I'm a total convert now. Not You know, the old days when I was like seven years old trying to rip yeah. that ripcord thing and yeah. I have to take my bike down to the... You know, with the can, and they have to go down to the ga- the gas station. And I, fill it I kept up and the all gas that. mower and made sure the filter was dirty. I wanted the boys <laughs> suffering out there pulling this. I, I wanted them to, you know, look back when they were older and be like, "I remember mowing the lawn." <laughs> the old days. Make sure that your uh, your kids grow up with some values That's and they right, understand yeah. a little bit of hard work. I but mean, did me, you still have the like, pusher? Or did you get the robot one that does it for you, like the Roomba lawnmower? <laughs> not that bad. I didn't get the robot one because it doesn't come with a bag. Yeah, That's why. Maybe. You know? maybe <laughs> 
I'm not, I'm not getting out there with a rake. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'm not raking up my clippings. That, there's some opportunities there for advancement. And I think that's what happens. As societies get access to more energy, they advance mm-hmm. and they wind up using more energy. I just did an interview with a guy from the Hill a couple of days ago. And he's like, anytime we see you know, societies start to use energy, they wind up just using more of it. And I said, yeah, and the costs go down and people's lives get easier. Yeah. There's a study out of Guatemala just by electrifying their cooking. They save 34% of their time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty significant yeah. amount of time savings by adding electricity and energy to cooking mm-hmm. wouldn't it be amazing if there's the three billion people on the face of the earth that have very little access to energy and, and a billion that don't have any at all yeah. had access imagine the time they could get involved in their communities do civic engagement start businesses raise families uh, but uh, unfortunately there are people that are enslaving them around the world keeping policies to make sure those countries don't come out of uh, poverty right this is one of the things I, I think just generally um, the, the the themes that life power talks about and you talk about this uh, quite a bit um, is of course that um, you know if, if if other countries were just as good as America in terms of in terms of uh, their cleanliness of, of energy and you know the and and not polluting the environment and all those kinds of things and it's because we're using these energy dense these efficient uh, yeah. types of energy you know we're not using you know whale blubber anymore like we were yeah oil and gas saved the ago. whales I love to tell yeah. people that like you want to know what saved the whales it wasn't Greenpeace it was oil and gas because we found a dense energy that worked yeah. better. Uh, kerosene. Or wood. I mean, yeah, yeah. wood was another one. Absolutely. And and you look at what saved, saved Sherwood Forest in England when, it, when there was still a little bit of forest there. It was the coal they found underneath mm. that forest. Uh, and, and there's a lot of oil and gas in the United Kingdom that they're not producing that they right. could be helping lift their people out of poverty, but they keep crushing them with expensive energy. It's just but, insane to like, you see these third world countries and they've got, you know, a, a huge windmill, you know, next to these like shanty huts. And I'm just thinking like, is this a Photoshop picture? What is yeah. going on? You know, when, when, I mean, even, even like hydro resources or something would be more, would be better than this ridiculous, you know, 900 foot windmill in this town where people are walking around barefoot with baskets <laughs> on their heads. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy uh, to me, but then I just think that's really interesting that, you know, that you say, look, because we've been so pro because yeah. we have used these energy resources and because we've been so prosperous, it's actually the rich countries that are able to be the cleanest because that are using uh, things like natural gas or shifting even from, you know, naturally shifting from coal to natural gas yeah. uh, and, and those kinds of things. I think it's a really good really Economic good prosperity and environmental leadership go hand in hand. And, and I'd, I'd like to introduce myself. I say, I'm Jason Isaac. I live a high carbon lifestyle. And I think the rest of the world <laughs> should too. Uh, I think it was a congressman from Maryland that called me the carbon king. And I, I wear that as a badge of honor. So I'm like, <laughs> yes, I am. But you look at countries where they do have high per capita CO2 emissions. One of the, like, I think the second most in the world is Singapore. Mm-hmm. That's ironically where the first ever net zero candidate on the face of the earth, the president of Malawi, when he is when his palace was overrun because he implemented policies that said we're not going to use nitrogen-based fertilizers in the production of food to try to reduce our our CO2 emissions. It's just absolutely absurd policies, and so you couldn't use fertilizer to grow food anymore. Food production went down forty percent, cost went up eighty percent, and when his palace was overrun, he went to Singapore. Yeah, and I'm like, why didn't he go to Malawi? Malawi's at net zero. Ethiopia is at net zero. Why didn't he go? There? That's what he's professing. Mm-hmm. Well, people, women in Malawi and women in Africa are are overburdened with this not having access to energy, not living a high carbon lifestyle. And women around the world today will spend 200 million hours walking to collect water 
because they don't have access to energy. And yeah. I think that's just inhumane. It's like, when do the human rights tribunals begin for the leaders that are pushing these policies and enslaving this predominantly women around the world that are impacted by these environmental policies <clears throat> when they could be living like we are here in the United States? Again, economic prosperity and environmental leadership go hand in hand. We're world leaders at clean air. We've actually reduced pollution I don't, I'm not going to conflate greenhouse gases, sure, CO2 sure. that I'm exhaling right now that I love to Completely. ingest in concentrations that are really high, especially in a Topo Chico, <laughs> and I don't spontaneously combust when I do. Um, but we're world leaders in clean air. We've reduced pollution 80%, nearly 80% over the last five decades, mm -hmm. and we're number one when it comes to access to clean and safe drinking water. So, Those are powered by affordable, reliable energy. So we just have a couple minutes left. I feel like we can keep going. We're definitely going to have to have you back whenever uh, Derek comes back and he's abandoned us for uh, for Europe. He's gone on vacation. I guess somebody let him out. Um, but I do, one last thing I he's do want to talk research, about. research, I'm sure. He's understanding because oh, yeah. we don't want to see a Europeanization of America. There you and go. a lot of their policies are coming over, so he's learning what we shouldn't be doing and how we've got to push back. So speaking of the country's policies, I do want to talk a little bit about policy. Politics, or at least the policy of, of politics. Uh, you know, we're about to get into the silly season. The the presidential debates are about to happen. The presidential, I you know, the, all the the candidates, particularly on the conservative on the Republican side, are kind of lining up. Um, energy. A lot of times, energy is not a campaign issue, unfortunately. Even though it literally dictates everything that we do and our costs and all that kind of stuff. You know, obviously the border and things like that on the Republican side are going to be the major issues and just being sort of anti Biden. But I think energy is going to be a top three issue this year. For no other reason than, than um, you know, inflation is very high. Energy is, is something that people uh, are thinking a lot about. Um, what, what, do you think that energy is going to be or, or can you make it, you know, kind of an issue? Should Americans uh, be more concerned about energy policy going uh, into the at least the Republican, assuming they're going to have debates uh, on the conservative side? Do you think they can make that more of an issue? I think it's going to be much more of an issue. The, the, the goal is, is to get more votes. And when you look at a large segment of voters, one in six Americans over the last 12 months have received a disconnect notice from a utility. One in six Americans. Wow. That's a pretty significant number. In 2021, the number of electric utility disconnects increased uh, 30%. Natural gas utility disconnects increased 76%. This energy-driven inflation, and it is, you increase the cost of energy and you increase the cost of everything. You increase the cost of diesel fuel that goes in a truck that's transporting everything that we're going to eat, wear, or consume you know, on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. been, it's been in or on a truck. You increase the cost of everything when the cost of energy goes up. Yep. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I think it's going to be a very, very big issue because I think the people that are running for president are going to look to appeal to those people that are suffering from expensive energy. It hurts the poor, but it really hurts everybody. And outside of border security, one of the major things that Biden almost immediately uh, uh, you know, reversed were good energy policies from the previous administration Whether and, and policies that made us finally, after all these years and decades, energy independent. And so there will be a lot of work for the next president to do uh, to revert re re unreverse or whatever the word yeah. is, uh, all of the damage that the Biden administration has done. Yeah, and it's interesting. One of the reporters I was talking to earlier this week, he's like, oh, wait, the U.S. has got to be this leader in decarbonization. And, and I, I shared with him some numbers that we just released that are on the website uh, that talks about what would happen if the U.S. did decarbonize. I, I say it does. it's dangerous and deadly. It doesn't do anything to mitigate a changing climate. Uh, but it's, it's less than one-tenth of one degree if we completely decarbonize by 2050. The only reason anyone is embracing decarbonization decarbonization is they're out for 
our money. They want the subsidies. They want the tax handouts. Or they're just doing it to virtue signal to appease to these multinational yeah. global financial institutions. But where we or should be the leader, like Oregon or whatever, there's a bunch of leftist wackos it, it, that vote on these issues. You know, they're just yeah, and for they're votes part of there. the cult, and they think it's yeah. necessary that if we're going to save the planet, we're going to destroy the earth, but we're going to save the planet and all the people that we're going to kill everybody lives on it too. Um, but I, I think that's part. Of their, their policies are very Malthusian in nature. They want to get rid of the humans. There's no doubt about it. But what we threats. should be leading is we should be exporting our technology and exporting our clean energy around the world in the form of our fossil fuels and nuclear technology. We should be exporting that around the world to raise up other economies. But you look at Argentina. Argentina is sitting on more oil and gas reserves than Texas is. That that could be the next Permian Basin if they had private property rights. So we should be exporting our freedoms and, and policy recommendations to these other countries and really reverse uh, immigration. Where are these people coming from? They're coming from places where they don't have access to affordable, mm-hmm. reliable energy. They're coming to places that are at poor environmental quality. And so we, we should be the leaders in spreading this democracy and private property rights around the world. And then people will stay home in those countries. They're going to have economic prosperity, which is what they're chasing. I'd say a lot of them are chasing yeah. economic prosperity. Some of them are trying to game the system and do trafficking and, and human smuggling. And that's just awful. I agree with all of that sentiment, all of that policy, but you're not taking my life. Patrick Miller. Okay. <laughs> we can continue it's on It's made that. with fossil fuels. Sure. I love your electric mower. It's I, it great. It is true. It, that, yeah, energy It is quiet, so that, that's, hey, that's great. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all the time that we have for this episode of The Right Idea. Jason, thank you for sitting in for uh, sitting in for Derek. We'll, have, we'll definitely have to have you come back. I mean, the, the energy issues in the summer and the winter and all of that are not going away uh, anytime soon. And the Texas legislature, for that matter, uh, still has some work to do on this issue, frankly. Um, and we've talked about that a lot. So thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. See you next time. Uh, for all our folks uh, listening and watching, thank you again, as always, uh, for uh, for your feedback. We do really appreciate that. Even the trolling comments that we get sometimes, we're always looking for good uh, for good ideas. So shoot me a story. We'll we'll get it, get our feedback and talk about it. Uh, so that's been the right idea. We'll see you next time. And as always, do good and risk the consequences. We'll see you next time. <laughs>